Hey everybody, this is Pastor Chad, and today is Sunday, January 10th, 2021, our second sermon uh, of this new year. And what a new, what an amazing year it's been already. We thought um, 2020 was crazy, and it looks like 2021 is going to, so far, it looks like it's going to turn out to be even possibly crazier than 2020. Uh, again, if you have any trouble hearing me or seeing, please comment. Uh, I only see the comments if you're watching through the Facebook uh, church page, the way R12.2 or the way ministry on Facebook. I don't see if you're watching on my personal page. I don't see those comments until after the broadcast is finished. The title of the sermon today is The Narrow Way in Chaotic Times. And I would have to think that the narrow path that Jesus talks about, excuse me, talks about in Matthew 7, 13 through 14 is one of the topics I've probably touched on more than uh, any other uh, in the last uh, five or six years as I've been preaching. Uh, but I think it's very relevant, um, especially for the times that we're going through right now. And I think you'll see that uh, as we move forward in the message today. Uh, hey, Carrie, thank you for commenting. Roz, it's great to hear from you from Kenya. Mom and dad, good to see you guys. Thank you for commenting. Um, so again, title of the sermon, The Narrow Way in Chaotic Times. And it's based on Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Before we get into it, why don't we uh, pray real quick, and then we'll get into today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can gather here uh, from great distances, people from the other side of the world, uh, able to meet together online, to hear your word, uh, to worship, and to praise you. And Lord, I ask that uh, you would just uh, uh, use your word today to edify and strengthen your saints. And for those that maybe don't know you, Lord, that you would uh, just pierce their hearts with the truth and that they would have their eyes open to the beauty of the gospel and the power and the majesty of your plan of salvation and that they would come to place their faith in Jesus Christ because he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Lord, just uh, open our hearts and our minds to your word today and may you be glorified through it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So again, the title of the message, The Narrow Way in Chaotic Times based on Matthew 7, 13, through 14. Um, before I get into this, I just wanted to open up with a bit of an introduction to put this into the context of the things that we're dealing with uh, in the world and especially in America right now. And I, I think the question that a lot of Americans are asking themselves right now and asking their friends and family is, what will the coming days be like for America? And when I say the coming days, I literally mean uh, the next uh, seven to, to 15 days or whatever until January 20th, when we are supposed to see a new president sworn in. Um, regardless of which side of the fence you sit on politically, right or left, Democrat or Republican or whatever, uh, I don't think anybody can argue the fact that there has been enough evidence presented and that continues to be uncovered um, that shows that the election was fraudulent. Uh, that the election uh, was stolen, and now we're starting to see um, that Italy was involved. I just uh, saw something, the title of, of an article says, Italy Gate, is the Italian government directly involved in the U.S. election fraud against Trump? And uh, 
if you go to a site called yadazoe.com, Y-A-D-A-Z-O-E.com, um, that article's posted on there and you can read it. But it's quite clear that, that multiple governments were probably involved in this election fraud that we've seen taking place. So something is very wrong with the democratic process in America. Um, we're really looking at two options as we get closer to January 20th in America. And this sermon's not going to be all political. I just think with what's going on in the world, we can't help but discuss these events. It would be uh, irresponsible probably not to. But these questions are important. Will Trump remain in office, which could very well lead to a civil war at some level? If he is able to stay in office, and I, and I believe that that's what he aims to do, and I believe that's probably what will happen, um, things could get ugly because those that have been trying to steal this election are not going to be happy about that. And him staying in office could mean the end of a lot of political careers for those that, have, that will be proven to have been traitors through this fraudulent election. Um, will Biden be allowed to take the office of the president illegally, which could also lead to civil war in some measure if Biden's in office? Because if Biden gets into office and it is absolutely proven that the election was fraudulent, um, it really is the duty of the American people to remove him from office as soon as possible. So we're looking at a great deal of strife that could be caused from that as well, as long as well as the, the more rapid deterioration of America um, morally and constitutionally uh, with having an administration like that in office again. Um, Will the internet and or cell service be blacked out? That's starting to become a real possibility that certain people in the know are becoming concerned with is that uh, we could get up one morning or we could be working one day and the internet goes off, our cell phones are off, and we have lost the ability to communicate with each other. Uh, that could very well happen. Free speech is being blatantly stripped away. Does anyone... Can anyone comprehend the fact that free speech is so blatantly being attacked in America right now? Free speech is being stripped away, but it's not even being, do, being done in the dark. It's being done right out in the open. The president of the United States, regardless of what you feel about Trump, he is the acting president of the United States right now. He has been blocked from multiple media platforms. They are trying to stifle the voice of the president of the United States right now. Just think of how absolutely ridiculous that is, that something like that could happen. Um, conservatives are being removed from media platforms in huge numbers right now. If you listen to anybody that's prominent in conservative uh, talk or conservative opinion, uh, many of them are also being removed from many of the social media platforms. Um, Myself, I'm a very small voice in this world of so many voices, but I'm uh, ready to start transferring the things I do in ministry over from platforms like Facebook onto something that's more dependable and something that, that truly does represent free speech. Now, everybody thought that was Parler, and it looks like that is a good platform, but Amazon now has stated that they are going to cut off Parler's hosting because they do not want them to have that free speech voice. So we're seeing just this incredible war over, over so many issues, but just, just consider the battle that's taking place 
over the topic of free speech right now, over the right that we are guaranteed to constitutionally as Americans by the Constitution, the, the right of free speech being so blatantly attacked. This should be a very huge red flag for any American to see these things happening. Um, something that I think became very clear on January 6th during the Electoral College vote is that the Republican Party has now been clearly exposed as being corrupt and as traitorous as the Democratic Party. Uh, you had a lot of people that said they were going to make a stand against um, the fraudulent election, that they were going to defend the Constitution, and they, they all folded. There were a couple that stood up and tried to have a voice, but pretty much the entire party was exposed for being what it is. And I've been saying this for years. Anybody that's ever listened to me, even four or five, I remember back before the election in 2016, trying to get people to understand that Democrat or Republican, right and the left in America, that paradigm it are, is just two heads of the same snake. They have been dividing this country uh, systematically and incre incrementally along right-left paradigm lines and along party lines for generations. And now we're seeing the culmination of what they've been doing so masterfully for so long through our corrupt education system, through the media, which is an absolute joke. And we're seeing what happens when people don't take the time to really step back and think about what they're told, and they just do what they're told. We're suffering from a lot of really a lot of laziness and a lot of complacency on the part of Americans. And I think people need are realizing now I need to wake up and start figuring out what's really going on because everything is at stake right now. Uh, it's, a, it, it's an amazing time in America. So the question is, how did America end up in such a mess? And something that fascinates me, if you study American history and you study the Constitution and you look at how the majority of our government is in the business of trying to get rid of the Constitution and work their way around it because it, it, it's what protects the people from abusive government. And then you look at what's happening in so much of the modern church, where you have the majority of the church trying to get around the word of God, trying to ignore the commands of God and corrupt God's truth. The parallels are fascinating. So as the church is corrupted in America, the country has followed suit and corrupted as well. So we're seeing it on a, on a couple different fronts. Um, but what I want to share with you guys is something very fascinating. Any, you probably heard of a writer, a Christian writer, who wrote much on the political situation in America, how we should look at things politically, how we should view the, the American Constitution from a biblical perspective. His name was Francis Chan. Uh, I believe he died in, not Francis Chan, I'm sorry, Francis Chan. Uh, is, is a false teacher. Uh, Francis Schaeffer. Um, uh, he died in the late 80s, I believe, but his, he's one of my favorite writers, and I love how he clearly explains how to look at the political situation in America and the world from a genuine biblical perspective. He was just a brilliant man, and his books are always a blessing. So what I want to do to you guys is I just want you to think about some of these things I'm going to share with you from his book, um, How Should We Then Live? How Should We Then Live? And it has the subtitle of The Rise and Decline of Western Thought and Culture. And it's a fascinating book because he goes all the way back 
to the time of the, uh, the beginning of the Christian church, and he just studies the corruptions that have taken place historically and the battles that have been waged against the message of the Christian gospel and how that has affected societies down through history and how they have deteriorated and finally come to ruin. And he, he really poses uh, very strong warnings for America and tries to wake people up, like I was just talking about. Now, what's fascinating about his book is this book was written in 1976. So if you were alive and thinking at that time, consider the state of the world in 1976 versus where it's at right now and consider how much deterioration, how much moral depravity, how far America has gone down morally since 1976 and consider that that's when he wrote this book. So I just want to share a little bit of you because I a little bit of this book with you, just a few excerpts from chapter 12, which is titled the manipulation and the uh, manipulation and the new elite. And just listen to what he's saying in, in, in the context of what we went through in 2020 with this COVID virus being used so nefariously and being used to such a sinister and evil end to try to control people. And now what we're dealing with politically uh, with the fraudulent 2020 election. Uh, Schaefer writes, as we consider the coming of an elite, an authoritarian state to fill the vacuum left by the cross of Christian principles, we must not think naively of the models of Stalin, and Hitler. We must we must think rather of a manipulative authoritarian government. Modern governments have forms of manipulation at their disposal which the world has never known before. Now when he wrote that he was talking about radio and television pro predominantly and, and maybe written newspapers. But think that he wrote this in 1976 and he said that Modern governments have forms of manipulation at their disposal, which the world has never known before. I think he would be blown away to see what governments are able to do now in manipulating the people. Just what we've gone through in 2020. Fascinating to consider. I've got a couple. Let's look at this one. Uh, so even though many... Even most people may reject the concept that man is totally a product of psychological, sociological, or chemical conditioning. Manipulation by these methods is still very much a live possibility. In fact, these techniques are all at the disposal of authoritarian states, and they are in some degree already being used. So what he's talking about, the point that Schaefer makes through this whole book is he's contrasting Christian principles. And one thing that I really like about his writing is he doesn't try to come across with this naive argument of, you know, America was founded on Christian principles. It was founded by Christians. The founding fathers were Christians. The majority of founding fathers, if you look at what they wrote and what they claimed to believe, were not Christian men, but they were more or less moral men, but they understood the importance of Christian principles in society. So even though the majority of them were not Christian believers, they understood the importance of God's law for successful, happy living in a society. 
And I love the fact that he makes that point because it always just strikes me as so naive when 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 Christians just try to say, well, you know, the America was founded by Christian. We, we, it's a country that's always had Christians in it, but we have never been a, a per se Christian country. And I think that's very important for us to realize because one thing that really shocked me is when they showed the the march on Washington last week, uh, which was amazing. So many patriots, I guess there was over a million that showed up in Washington to make a stand against this fraudulent election. In a couple of those photos, what did you see in the background? The Washington Monument. Do some research on the Washington Monument, and you, you soon find out that that is an occultic symbol, uh, symbolizes, it's called the, the phallus of uh, uh, Apollo, and it goes back to Satanism. So Satanism is very prevalent in our society, but so is Christianity. But the point I'm trying to make is our country was founded on Christian principles, but not within the Christian faith. But those principles, when they are sacrificed, when they are removed from a society, it has nothing to stand on. Everything becomes arbitrary and relative based on a person's own feelings or opinions, and you see what is taking place today. So a very important thing for us to understand. Um, the next point I wanted to make from his book, page 237, he says, on every side, people are taught that people are only machines. And as they are so taught, their resistance to manipulation in all these ways is weakened step by step. Modern man has no real boundary condition for what he should do. He is left only with what he can do. Moral oughts are only what is sociologically accepted at the moment. In this setting, will today's unthinkable still be unthinkable in 10 years? Now think of that in the context of what's taken place with the COVID crisis through 2020. In spite of so much information showing that masks are useless, they're not needed, that the COVID death numbers have been radically inflated and are fraudulent, that's, that just about everything that the mainstream media has put out to try to scare people, there's been so much evidence presented, if you just look for it, that contests everything they say very well and shows that the majority of things we've been told about this virus has been lies, what happens? People still follow along with it. People still accept it. Why? Because what he says is when people begin to see themselves more as machines, manipulation in all these ways is weakened step by step. It's easier to manipulate people. That's why it's so easy to control people right now. Because incrementally for the last 50 to 75 years, especially in America, through the public education system, through mainstream media, through satanic teachings contrary to the teachings of biblical Christianity and an increasing rise of immorality in America, people have lost the ability to think. They've become more mechanistic and they look at themselves more like a number, more like a machine, and less as a free thinking individual created in the image of God. So people don't question and they don't fight back. Fascinating to consider. I continue, remember too that for a long time in philosophy and popular, popularly in some of the mass media, people have been taught that truth is objective, that truth as objective truth does not exist. 
All morals and law are seen as relative. Thus, people gradually accept the idea of manipulation and a bit more gradually open themselves to accept the practice of the varying forms of manipulation. Again, he wrote this in 1976. That's what was so brilliant about this. He saw these things already taking place within society, but now it's multiplied hundreds of times over. It's so much worse now. We're seeing the fruit of years of incremental manipulation and people losing their ability to think critically and really analyze what they've been told and what they believe. But he addressed this so many years ago. He continues. I'm just giving you excerpts to just really uh, get you thinking about these things. Therefore, since what is gives no clue to what ought to be, we must choose our values arbitrarily. Once people accept this mentality, it is much easier to impose arbitrary absolutes. Now, one thing Schaefer talks about in his writings is one of the signs that a society is nearing its end and is in a severe, uh, is in an advanced stage of moral decay is arbitrary laws. Laws that are put into place arbitrarily, quite often outside the constitutional guidelines that laws are to be put in place, and that may make no sense. Folks, that is what happened all through 2020. We have had governors and uh, mayors and so many people in uh, positions of power putting out arbitrary mandates and regulations because of this coronavirus that have no legal standing, but people still just follow along blindly and say, no, that's what we're told to do. That's what we're going to do. That's a huge red flag. That's what Francis uh, Schaefer is addressing here. He continues, stories on all these techniques for manipulation have been given important space in the mass media. And the more these are absorbed without analysis, the more they open the way for men to think of themselves differently and the more manipulation becomes acceptable. It changes the way man views himself. He says, as we have seen, there are suggestions for the emergence of an elite to manipulate society on this side of the Iron Curtain. This was in the 70s, not long. This was actually in the midst of the Cold War with communism. And the technical breakthroughs necessary to make this possible have largely been accomplished. This was before the internet was a thing. Any modern authoritarian government has almost endless means of manipulation. Like I said, if he could see what's taking place now through social media, through mainstream media and everything else, I think his mind would be blown because I don't see how he could have visualized how bad his ideas were carried out or, what, or his warnings how, how severe things got because what he wrote wasn't heated in 76, obviously, or we wouldn't be in the, in the state that we're in. Then there's one more, I believe, I wanted to share with you guys. Find it here. This is the last part. The central message of biblical Christianity is the possibility of men and women approaching God through the work of Christ. But the message also has secondary results. Among them, the unusual and wide freedoms which biblical Christianity gave to countries where it supplied, where it supplied the consensus. This is what I'm talking about. It's those Christian principles 
that's spread out. It's like the leaven that pours out of the Christian church into the society around it. And maybe not everyone responds to the gospel and becomes a believer, but the church has a positive effect on society when those principles are spread out through the society, those biblical principles. And again, that's one of the reasons why America is a mess right now, because the church is a mess. Christian principles are not being bled out and, and flowing out like leaven into society because they're not even existent within much of the Christian church nowadays. When these freedoms are separated from the Christian base, however, they become a force of destruction leading to chaos. When this happens, as it has today, then to quote Eric Hoffer, when freedom destroys order, the yearning for order will destroy freedom. And that's where we're at right now. Freedom has destroyed order because when you have freedom without moral absolutes, without a moral system of government and a moral system of living, maintaining that freedom at a proper God-glorifying level, and immorality comes in, then freedom becomes something where morality flourishes. And that's what we, immorality flourishes, which is what we've seen in America. And now there is a yearning for order. And that is what was going, is going to destroy freedom in America because chaos will continue to increase because we don't have a moral base. We don't have any moral absolutes. Uh, truth is relative. We're not living according to the law of God. So things will, will spin out of control. Chaos will ensue. People will become fearful and they are willing to sacrifice freedoms for order and getting rid of their fear. We've seen that all down through world history. It's happened over and over again. And now it's what we're seeing happening in America very quickly. At that point, the words left or right will make no difference. They are only two roads to the same end. There is no difference between an authoritarian government from the right or the left. The results are the same. It goes right back to the point that I made at the beginning of, of this message today. You've got to let go of this right-left paradigm in America and realize that we are in a battle between good and evil, between Christ and Satan. You see, that's really what it comes down to. This is a spiritual battle that is being carried out right before our eyes on the physical plane. We've got to look at it in that way. So let's look at this message today. I wanted to lead into it with them because I think it just make this message makes so much sense to help us keep our eyes in the right place and to stay on the narrow path in spite of what's going on around us. Because we are entering a time where a lot of Christians are going to fall by the wayside and they're going to give in to the temptation because they're afraid of the chaos. They're afraid of the uncertainty. They're afraid of the confusion. They know that the media is lying to them, but they have not taken the time to arm themselves, to put on the whole armor of God. So they're susceptible to what's going on in the world and they'll fall away. On the other hand, this will also be a time when Christians who have sought the Lord, who have sought to stay on the narrow path, who have tried to cling to him, will prosper and grow and flourish during these times and his church will be purified and shine that much more brightly in the world. When I say prosper, I'm not talking about just financial. I'm talking about a happy, truly happy joyous life in Christ. Let's look at Matthew 17, 13 through 14. I'll put this on the screen here. Enter by the narrow gate, 
for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Folks, what it comes down to is there are two classes of people in the world. There's two type of people in the world, the saved and the unsaved. There are two ways in the world, the narrow way of Jesus Christ and eternal salvation in him and the wide highway to hell. It's that simple. One of the most beautiful things about Christianity is it is black and white, right and wrong, Christ and Satan. You just have to be on Christ's side. There's not gray area like the world gives us. Let's look at verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Now he says, enter by the narrow gate. We can only do that by the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Christ must be in our heart by faith before he can be in our life by holiness. When he is in us, he abides in us, we abide in him, we're being led by the Holy Spirit, we will strive to enter by the narrow gate. We will have a supernatural power to aim for that gate in our lives. Discernment in the way we live and interact with others narrows our focus, our choices, and our actions. The longer we walk with Christ, the narrower the path becomes. Anybody that's been a Christian for any amount of time will tell you that the longer you walk with Christ, the narrower the path, be the path becomes. You may, you may look at something that you did that you thought was totally acceptable behavior three or four years ago. Now you look at it as a Christian and go, how could I have thought that was okay? That's because the path is narrowing and the Lord is showing you things in your life that are contrary to him that need to be eliminated. Temptations that may be taking you away from the path that need to be rejected. So you stay on that narrow path. You see? The world affects how we interact with others. We simply don't have the same choices and options as those who are of the world. We don't want the same choices and options. Because why? Like, like the 23rd Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't need any other choices or options because I've found the ultimate salvation in Jesus Christ, faith in him. Because we are in Christ, we are in truth. And in truth, we strive to walk in a very narrow path of righteousness that only can be seen and followed by the blessing of God's grace. See, and that's what you have to understand through this whole message is all of this is a product of God's grace working in us. That is how we stay on the narrow path and enter through the narrow gate. We've got pictures of God's grace in two verses here. I missed one there. Isaiah 42, 7, to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dumb dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. In Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's a picture of the grace that I'm talking about. Those in Christ are guided by the light of truth, which we hold everything up to and measure everything against. We can travel a path free of worldly evil, confusion, influence, and foolish choices if we look to Christ and walk with his cross and his word always before us. Just start to get a picture of what I shared from what, what, 
what Schaefer was concerned about, the things we're dealing with in the world, and the contrast of the Christian that's looking to Christ, looking to the cross. The world has much less of an effect on you, and you're more able, more easily able to stay on that narrow path that I'm talking about. The Christian life is a journey of humble obedience, striving after holiness, being conformed to the image of Christ. Discernment in what we believe and what we either accept or reject narrows our focus, our choices, and our actions. That's what I was talking about earlier. The longer we walk with Christ, the more the Holy Spirit blesses us with wisdom and understanding of the ways of Christ, and he sharpens our discernment so we are not easily led astray by strange, diverse, and false teachings of man. Discernment is so important. It's like I've said before, Charles Spurgeon said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. And that is so important for the age in which we live, because with 90% of the modern church not even being the church, being of the world and totally either apostate or heretical, it takes discernment to understand that the majority of those claiming to be Christian probably aren't. That's just the fact for the time in which we live. It's just the way it is. So you've got to test everything that comes across your path. We are commanded in Scripture to test the spirits. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. Be discerning. Do not be led astray and do not be led from the narrow path. Again, the wide gate to destruction is one of enticement, amusement, ease, worldly prosperity, and is all-inclusive, open to all without anything needed to be given up or repented of. That's that modern Jesus that we hear of so much. Jesus will make all your dreams come true. Jesus will give you monetary prosperity. You want the big house. You want everything you've ever dreamed of. Jesus will give that to you. Just try him out. You see? You don't have to give anything up. You don't have to repent. It's just another self-help option. That is not the Christian message, and that is not who Jesus Christ is. The lusts and desires and passions of this world are welcomed through this wide gate without question or running the risk of insult. You don't face persecution or rejection or insult when you're following a false Christ. The wide gate is easy to find because there is always a mass of ignorant humanity fighting to get through it. You can always spot the, the false way because that's the majority of people going in that direction. You see? Very easy to see. Let's look at Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is what we are to do when we follow Christ. But that is in direct contradiction to this world. You see? Direct contradiction. Now let's look at verse 14. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So we've got the contrast. The wide way leads to destruction. The way is narrow. The wide, It's wide and it's easy. It leads to destruction. The way to life in Jesus Christ is narrow, and it's difficult but we are given a power beyond our own ability to stay on that path. So it doesn't matter that it's hard. But this is one of the many verses that is ignored, that is ignored by most of the contemporary church. And what we see here, again, is the razor's edge of Christianity, the clear distinction that there are only two ways in life, right or wrong, good and evil, Christ or the world, the narrow gate to heaven or the wide highway to hell. 
Everyone is on one side of the line or the other. There is no middle ground in truth. That's why Jesus said, if you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. He wants you either totally for him or totally for the world, but do not be sitting on the fence like the majority of the church is today. Now, here's another paradox. He says, the way is hard, but what do we know as believers? It's also a way of joy and blessing. How many miraculous blessings are missed? Listen to this question. How many miraculous blessings are missed due to a lack of discernment regarding the narrow gate and a lack of faith when pressured to move off of the narrow path? How many blessings have you maybe missed in your life simply because you gave up on faith, you wandered from the narrow path because you saw what you thought was a solution to whatever it is you were struggling through from a worldly context, so you went off the path, and you didn't trust in Christ. What blessing did you miss if you, because you just didn't stay on the narrow path and look to Christ because faith requires us to walk with Christ even when we can't see where he's leading us. And we may be in the midst of a great trial, a great storm, a great struggle, tremendous problems. And the world is holding up signs with this is the solution. This is the solution. This is the way out. Those are meant to entice us off the narrow path. But what Christ is telling is if you would just follow me, trusting that I'm never going to lead you astray. He will lead us into blessings that we would have never thought about or anticipated or even comprehended. And how many blessings of those have we missed in our life because we didn't have the strength of faith or the depth of belief we needed to simply follow him? Think about that. Ask yourself those questions. Proverbs 4, 25 through 27 is a beautiful picture of staying on the narrow path faithfully like I'm talking about. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. We're given a beautiful picture that, of the, walking on the narrow path with Christ there. Now, I want to give you guys some illustrations through Christian history of lives lived on the narrow way of truth and righteousness. Some examples of people that have done what I'm talking about and what we will have to do as Christians because of the times in which we live. We will probably have to face some very tough choices that will require a lot of faith to stay on the narrow path in the coming days, weeks, and months of this year. Consider John Bunyan. He was in prison for 12 years in the 1600s for preaching without the permission of the church. He didn't need the church's permission. He was led by the Lord to preach, and he didn't want their permission because they would have wanted him to compromise the gospel. But during the 12 years that he was in prison, he wrote one of the greatest Christian books of all times, The Pilgrim's Progress. Charles Spurgeon is my favorite pastor. I read his work every day, and he probably quotes The Pilgrim's Progress more than anything other than the Bible constantly refers to it. It meant a lot to him. Look at these excerpts from the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, that Bunyan wrote while he was in prison. Instead of just sitting there and being bummed out that he was in prison, he was away from his family. He was in there for 12 years, and he wrote this book. He served the Lord. He wrote, look before you. Do you see the narrow way? That is the way you must go. It was laid out by the patriarchs, prophets, Christ and his apostles. It is as straight as a rule can make it. But are there no, and then he says another time, but are there no turnings and windings by which a stranger might lose his way? And he says, there are many ways that are crooked and wide, but only the right way 
is straight and narrow. Pilgrim's Progress, page 17 and 18. Consider Elijah, the prophet, in 1 Kings 19.14, and how he walked the narrow path alone. It says, I'll put it up on the screen here. It says, then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So when he was all by himself and everyone in the society was against him, did he turn away from Christ in the narrow way? No. That was an Old Testament example. Let's look at the New Testament. Let's look at uh, Stephen in Acts 6 and 7, and then in Acts 7, 51 through 53. Stephen was preaching, and he said, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You, will, uh, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. The reason this is a picture of Stephen following the narrow path is why. Because he knew calling out the Jewish leaders for who they really were and showing that they were serving Satan rather than Christ and proclaiming the gospel message to them, what did it lead to? His death. They stoned him for preaching the gospel without compromise, for staying on the narrow path boldly, courageously, and confidently. He gave up his life for it. He was martyred. But he did it gladly, you see? Because it was the ultimate truth that he would never sacrifice anything for. Consider the example of Christ. Jesus' ministry and his steady journey to Jerusalem. All You see through all the Gospels, when we read about Christ's life, he was constantly moving down that narrow path to the cross because that's what his role was when he came. That's what the purpose was of his incarnation. Luke 22, 42 through 43 says, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. He knew what he was going to be suffering in a very short time when he prayed that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew the suffering he was going to go through was beyond anything any human being had ever experienced. But he said, if it's your will, Father, let it continue. That's the narrow path. We must be willing to forsake all for Christ, and he will carry us through whatever we are faced with. He will carry us through when our faith absolutely fails us. Look at Psalm 94, 16 through 18. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. So even when every all your friends abandon you, your family abandons you, and you feel like you're against the world because you're a Christian, Christ is there if you're looking to him faithfully. And then he says, those who find it are few. Matthew twenty two fourteen tells us, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is one that so many in the contemporary modern church do not want to think about. For many are called, but few are chosen. So what does that mean? What that means is the gospel message will go out to many, 
but only a few will respond to it because they will only respond when the Holy Spirit has chosen them, changed their hearts so that they believe the gospel message and they respond to it. They are blessed with faith and repentance and they place their faith in Jesus Christ. But we've got to understand the true church is a remnant. The true church is a few. Don't get sucked into this false idea of this universal offering of salvation. That's not in scripture. A disciple of Christ should never place an emphasis on large numbers. It flies in the face of the nature of the gospel. All the picture that we get through church history and through the Bible is that the church is small and suffering and beautiful and very simple. You see? Just preach the gospel. It doesn't have to be done in palaces. It doesn't have to be done in palatial churches. It doesn't have to be done in massive crowds through microphones. It is done mouth to ear. Share the gospel with anybody you can. The longer we walk the way of Jesus Christ, the thinner the crowd becomes until only a small remnant or even no one seems to be left walking with us. But we are never alone. Again, that point comes up. Look at Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Folks, these are verses you should be memorizing, especially at this time in history. Especially at this time in history. Because if these platforms are removing the president, they're removing conservative voices, who is the next logical voice to be attacked? The voice of Christianity. You see? You've got to start having these verses in your heart because they will give you strength as you're attacked and persecuted for the name of Christ. And that could be very soon. Contemporary churches are packed with artificial Christians on a very wide, worldly, and easy road to destruction who are so misled they have no idea what or where the narrow gate even is. And again, I pick on the modern church all the time because honestly, folks, it needs to be picked on. Because when you really study scripture and you really understand what that gospel message is, and then you contrast it with what passes for Christianity in the world, you realize how severely deteriorated what passes for the church is and how corrupted it is. We've got to get back on that narrow path. And the majority of Christians don't even know what I'm talking about. That's just the way it is. What I want you to notice is we're talking about Matthew 7, 13 and 14, but what does it lead to? Look at verse 15, the very next verse. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So again, if we look at the verses we're talking about, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The very next verse is, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Somebody just shared something with me yesterday about one of these NAR pastors from Bethel or one of the other circuses who had supposedly made a prophecy that, that Trump was going to, you know, win the election, no problem, remain president. Maybe Trump will, but he was, he was, he was apologizing that his prophecy had not come to pass, that he'd made a mistake. Folks, the Bible says if a prophet's record is not perfect, he is not a true prophet. God never gives a false prophecy. 
And it is so common, especially I'll tell you in Kenya, so many of these uh, people from America go over there and they're calling themselves apostles. They're calling themselves prophets and they are not. The apostle was the, the apostles were the original men that walked with God. Prophets were in the law and the prophets were until John. We don't need prophets nowadays. We have God's word in scripture. So be very careful. But isn't it interesting that the very next verse, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now I want to share with you a Spurgeon quote. Whoops, that's not it. That's the verse after. I didn't put the Spurgeon quote on the screen. And I love this quote from him. He says, were Jesus here today, he would not be the soft-shelled creature some people want us to be. He had a backbone and a conscience and a heavy right hand. And he brought that hand down like a sledgehammer on hypocrisy and error. And if we would be like Christ, we must be bold and outspoken. Great advice for today. He wrote that in the 1800s. Think of how much worse things are now. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform any miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You've got to place your faith in Christ, follow him, strive to be conformed to his image and move forward in his truth. Do not be drawn away by these false teachers that are so prevalent nowadays. I'm going to share the financial principle for our ministry with you guys because it's right along the lines of what we're talking about. And we put this principle in place the day this ministry was founded back in, I think, 2012. We will not measure the success of this ministry by the amount of money given or number of people we help. Rather, we will judge our usefulness to the kingdom by our faithfulness to the scriptures in doctrine and practice. And I feel very pleased to state that I have stuck to that principle since the day this ministry of found has been founded. And I'll be honest with you, since that day, this ministry has struggled financially. Because all we have to do to bring in a ton of money is give up on strict doctrine, strict proclamation of the gospel, compromise on that, get rid of the parts that people don't like, and people will start giving money. If I start preaching things that people want to hear rather than what they want, that they need to hear. But because we have always stood on the uncompromised gospel of Jesus Christ, we have always struggled financially. Isn't that interesting? I'm not complaining. It's just the way it is, you see? And I know a lot of guys in ministry, friends of mine, who will tell you the exact same thing. All we'd have to do is compromise. We could have all the money we want. But that's just the way of the world. The narrow gate to eternal life in the kingdom of God is only passed through by grace. You cannot obey the commands of Christ. You cannot be conformed to his image unless God's grace is working in you. Let's look at John 3, 3 through 5. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Why did Jesus use the phrase be born again? Because we don't have a say-so over our conception or our birth. And unless we are born again, we will not have faith. We will not repent. We will not trust in Christ. It is all an act of God. And we will not stay on the narrow path if we're trying to do it by our own power, our own righteousness, our own piety, or our own works. We will only stay on the narrow path if every moment of every day we are striving to, to cling to the robe of Christ, to be conformed to his image, and to follow in the path that he sets before us. Do not sway from that. And there will be tests and challenges and temptations to do so, I believe, like we've never experienced before because of what the world's going through right now and because of what America's going through right now. But we've got to stay on the narrow path. So be bold, be confident, be courageous. And like Charles Spurgeon said, proclaim the gospel. Don't back down and come down on hypocrisy and apostasy and heresy with a sledgehammer. Crush it. Psalm 1, I think it's 119, 104 says, through your precepts, I get ever understanding. Therefore, what? I hate every false way. You should hate heresy. I'll close with Psalm 121, verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What is that? That's God's grace. The Lord will keep you, not you, him. Look to him. Thanks for being here today, you guys. I uh, so much appreciate it. Um, please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel. Uh, it's just, I think you just search The Way Ministry Church. Uh, I probably am going to start switching our videos over to another platform. I'm thinking of Brighteon, uh, which is a smaller platform, but it's run by a guy who I've listened to for years, who's quite knowledgeable of uh, health issues, the, the dangers of uh, vaccines and all the stuff that we're facing in America. And he's pretty knowledgeable of stuff politically. So I'm really thinking about joining his platform. Um, because like I said, I think it, it won't be too long before anything that has to do with Christianity or the truth will be stripped away from Facebook, YouTube, and anything else. So I'm starting to switch over. If you go to Parlor and just put my name, Chad Prigmore, I'm just starting on there, but I started uh, putting stuff on there really yesterday. I signed up about a month ago, but with what's happened, I started paying more attention to it. Um, but I'll keep you guys informed. Uh, I would very much like to see our uh, community grow of believers online. Um, so if you guys would like to email me, please email, email me at the chat at the, the way, the letter R122.org. I'd love to hear your comments, your input. If you have something you'd like me to, to discuss in a sermon, or if you just need prayer, please email me. And please consider supporting the ministry. Uh, we very much want to put a pastor's training school in Kenya. Like I said, false teachings are just uh, wreaking havoc all throughout the, the African continent. And there's so much that I want to do here, but I'm just limited financially uh, with what's going on. I just want to be able to, to preach more, to help uh, wake more people up with the message of the gospel and to help make a stand with the evil that is infiltrating our country so rapidly. So please consider supporting us. You just go to the way, the letter R122.org, click on the donate button. And if you can commit to a monthly donation, that helps us big time because then we get an idea of what we've got coming in each month. All right, until next week, I will see you then. Same time, same place. God bless you guys. Take care.